great friend, Mr. Al Bat, for birding with Bat. Hey, Al, how are things over by Heartland? They're good. We're uh, readying the uh, fort here for another uh, solid rainfall, the way it sounds. So, and you know, it's always a debate whether you should water everything or not water everything. Uh, you just you don't know. It seems like we get enough, and I was out, and something is uh, just being really brutal to my eggplants. I don't know why it's doing that to me, but it's you it's mean like a an, sad thing. An insect or the weather? What What do you mean? Something's being brutal? Oh, I think an animal. Of oh some kind. dear. Okay. A lot of people yeah. have been complaining about like squirrels and things digging up things from their garden. They just do it. I think they just do it for fun. Maybe I don't have any idea because they did that with my peas as well. I've never, I can't remember anyway, I should not say never, but I don't remember having that much problem with eggplant before. And mm. Of course, I I really like eggplant, too, so that's, that makes it even worse. We're, um, we do have a number of squirrels here, so we were, um, we are foster parents to six young fox <laughs> squirrels, Gail and I, that were brought down by the good folks at the uh, Wildlife Rehabilitation Center in Roseville. Uh, we've been volunteers for a long time, hauling animals up there and and releasing animals and everything. Oh, I've released swallows and I don't know what all that we've let go. So, Al, what are the pre what are the prerequisites to be a foster parent for these all these critters that you have? Do you, I mean, do you have a special setup? Do you have a special license? What do you need to do or to know? You have to flunk an IQ test, <laughs> and then they say, you're just a guy. You're nuts. You can have the squirrels. Okay. I, I guess, um, you know, to care and probably have the time to do things, those two things would be the, the main things, and maybe a little experience uh, with a lot of these. So it, it's it's great. They're they're pretty tame, and Gail is feeding them avocados, so they're eating really, really well. I watched one of them was uh, frightened by a chickadee, was on a feeder eating, and a chickadee flew down and scared the squirrel away. So we've uh, enrolled him in assertiveness training class, <laughs> so I'm hoping that'll help because they said, you know, you're a fox squirrel. I talked to him, too. I said, you, it, it's a chickadee. I, you really shouldn't be frightened of a chickadee, but uh, they're uh, they're really cute when they're little. Oh, my gosh. They're just uh, delightful little squirrels. Um, American goldfinches, they're just singing merrily in the yard. At least that's what it sounds like to me. They're singing merrily. They uh, have not begun nesting yet, so they are the young and nestless uh, a soap opera will be coming on one of the many stations here that we can all get online anymore just think when my uh my parents were st they were amazed when you could get three channels on the tv now i wonder if anybody's ever done an accurate count on how many are available to somebody who has a phone an iphone you can just get uh, an endless supply of tvs um, it's been said, and I've heard this so often, and I don't know who said it first, or if a person knows only three species of birds, one of those will be a crow. And that's probably true. If you talk to somebody and say, can you name three species? Oh, boy, you know, crow, robin, and then they'd say owl or hawk or something, which wouldn't be a true species. But 
that people know crows, and a flock of crows in the winter, people see them come into town. If they live out in the country, they have them nesting around. And um, a flock of crows, somebody asked me what they're called, and it's Velcros. That's why they stick close together. <laughs> I heard the crows cawing really late the other night, and I was really worried that they go to bed angry. I think it was an owl that had uh, drawn their ire, but I don't know for sure. There was a, a gorgeous kaleidoscope of birds at our feeders here, goldfinch, indigo bunting, catbird, brown thrasher, and cardinal all at the same time. It was just, I stumbled trying to get to the camera, and of course by the time I got the camera there, there was like one bird left, and that was a house sparrow who had come in and taken everybody else's place. And I I still, on occasion, see a skunk in the yard, and it, once in a while it's still being stalked by a strange cat. It's like a Pepe Le Pew cartoon with the interaction of Pepe and the cat reversed, the roles reversed. And this will not end well. It's just, it's not going to. And I hope they go to the cat's home. It's uh, not my cat, so I hope they go to the cat's home yard. Uh, the cat's a trespasser, so I cheered for the skunk. I guess I'm uh, sentimental. I think that might be my last pun of the day there. So, uh, Chipmunks, somebody asked if chipmunks are a problem in a garden. They love tomato juice, mm -hmm. and they will chew holes in the bottom of tomatoes. <clears throat> I um, saw a tomato plant the other day with, uh, it had little tomatoes on it. It was at a nursery. Twenty three ninety nine. What? Wow. Yeah, $23.99. And that's for somebody who I think has entered in a contest to see who in the neighborhood gets the first tomatoes. So oh. they're probably willing to spend, you know, $1,000 wow. to get a tomato just to be, have. You get the bragging rights a whole year. But the, they will, uh, chipmunks will chew holes in the bottom of tomatoes and then they'll lap up the tomato juice. And we'll, uh, if you haven't seen, you'll probably be seeing chipmunk pups. The young ones come out there, I don't know, they're a little smaller, maybe two-thirds, three-quarters of size. And they leave the nest when they're four to six weeks of age. Uh, Paul Gotlin of Rochester, a great guy, said he watched an indigo bunting land on a dandelion stem and right it to the ground where <laughs> it was able to feed on the seeds of the of the head of the dandelion. Um, Gail and I visited good folks at uh, Elverly Seed House who needed to install an electric fence. And they're in the city of Elverly. They needed to install an electric fence to keep the deer from browsing heavily upon the plants for sale. And that heavy browsing even included the flats. So they were just eating everything. Uh, talked to a couple people who practiced no mow may in an effort to promote pollinator-friendly habitat. They did not mow their lawns at all in May, and I imagine they're busy catching up now. <laughs> On a visit to Myrie Big Island State Park, I heard a sora, and it stretched out a sorry, that call. I heard a skunk bird, which is a bobolink, trying to sing too many songs at once. And one day there, I saw a prothonotary warbler. Now, I've seen them there quite a number of years. And in 1948, Alger Hiss, a government official, was accused of being a Soviet spy. And the trial hinged on whether Hiss knew Whitaker Chambers, a former member of the U.S. Communist Party, 
and Chambers claimed he'd talked to Hiss about birding and reported Hiss's excitement after seeing a prothonotary warbler along the Potomac River. And that sighting linked the two people and eventually led to Hiss's conviction. It also made uh, Richard Nixon, he was involved in that, and he became uh, pretty famous and probably wouldn't have been president without that. A friend was telling me how he loves doves, but he dislikes pigeons. And I told him, well, a pigeon is a dove, but uh, he wouldn't be swayed. Um, you know, dove is a brand of soap. So maybe he'd <laughs> like pigeons if there was a soap named Pigeon. I'm going to look into that. Uh, a caller asked, did Audubon really shoot birds? Oh, yes, he did. He shot birds and posed them to replicate the behavior he witnessed in the wild before he painted them. And he said, I often say that if I shoot less than 100 birds a day, they must be rare. They were different times. Uh, roadside nesting cliff swallows. If you drive over a bridge, you're probably going to see these little guys. They don't have the swallow tail that a barn swallow has. But roadside nesting cliff swallows have evolved shorter, more maneuverable wings to help them evade oncoming vehicles. Jane Agerdahl of Fairbolt said, I've seen Canada geese flying in their formation two times past week in southern Minnesota. Once there was only six geese, and then yesterday I saw like 30 or 40 of them just south of Owatonna, all flying together in mixed Vs and quite a ways up, all those maybe not as high as it during fall migration. I didn't think we see this behavior this time of year. Any ideas? Uh, Canada geese, too young to breed, Jane, along with those that maybe have lost nests in the breeding season, undertake a molt migration in late May and early June. So they fly to northern and sub-Arctic areas where they molt their flight feathers and spend the summer, and then they migrate back through here again in September or October. Deb Fellows spotted a pair of black-necked stilts at the Armstrong Wetland Restoration Site in Steele County. Rick Mammel of Albert Lee said, I'm going to present a few slices of banana on a shallow copper dish for butterflies to enjoy, hoping we enjoy a tremendous gathering of them, minus only critters that consume them. Millie Westland of Hayward saw a trumpeter swan with five signets. Cindy Drill of North Mankato said, as I walked to the front of the house, thinking only about unwinding the hose and what I was about to do, there was a sudden flurry of feather sounds coming from my right, but no vocalization. We are talking about the width of a single driveway from me at the front of my neighbor's house. As I turned quickly to find the source of activity, a fairly large bird was launching away from me somewhat above ground level. It flew, not upwards, staying just above car tops, but below the tree line, across the street and down the block and out of sight. In the few seconds, I had to observe the bird, rear end view exclusively. I noticed an overall gray color, but with a distinct white patch above the tail. The flight was a bit different as well, a slower pace flap soar pattern. My thoughts were that it was too large for a pigeon. It reminded me of a hawk, yet I noticed some similarity to a gull in flight. I've seen plenty of night hawks, and this bird was larger without the model coloring. Digging into my various books and online sources, it keeps coming back that I may have seen an adult male northern harrier. I can't find another bird that has enough similar points to match up thoughts. 
And boy, you described a uh, northern harrier perfectly, uh, a male northern harrier. They're gray with that white rear. They are uh, most at home in marshy, wet meadows. The only thing that seems odd is where it was seen, Cindy. That sounds more like the area where a cooper's hawk would be. Uh, they can have some white undertail coverts if they're flared out. That might give an uh, impression of a white rump. But it, well, you have described a northern harrier. And what it was doing there, who knows? But uh, cool bird to see. Uh, Sharon Goble has a white-winged dove coming to her feeders in Faribault. Rick Mammel said, I went out to... Rick went out to Edgewater Park in Albert Lee a few days ago to inspect the two Purple Martin apartment units out there that the Albert Lee Audubon Society has managed to get installed thanks to the kind assistance of our park staff members. I found a total of 26 eggs so far and reckon we have about 30 pairs of mating Purple Martins since all the cavities had nests completed or in progress. I have done a happy dance. At this rate, we will hopefully have a total of about 90 babies survive to fledge and begin their epic trek to Brazil to return in early May of next year for a repeat performance and maintain this annual cycle recycling that has gone on for heaps of millennia. They will never cease to delight me. Uh, Dean Musing said, I know that we are best to leave nature alone and let it right itself most of the time. What about the added stress on other bird species from the cowbird? Do you know of any studies done on intervening on behalf of other sound songbirds? My guess is that it's probably illegal to interfere with nesting birds. Uh, cowbirds are protected. So the, the ones that uh, are legal to mess with are starlings, house sparrows, and uh, uh, rock pigeons. Brown-headed cowbirds are brood parasites, and they usually lay an egg each day for six days in different nests. They pause for a few days, and then they repeat the process, and they may lay as many as 41 eggs per season. Although uh, known as a scarce bird to begin with, the Kirtland's warbler, Dean, is the one that comes first to mind, and there's been all kinds of studies done on that. Uh, they began to decline seriously in the 1960s. They had 502 singing males in 1961. Ten years later, 1971, they uh, had dropped way down to 201, from 502 to 201. And then through most of the 70s and 80s, the annual counts hovered around 200 males. Twice they dropped as low as 167 since 1990, the numbers have gradually increased. The tally of singing males topped 1,000 for the first time in 2001. It was 1,700 by 2007, and it hit 2,000 singing males in 2012. Those are still low numbers, but how'd they get there? Conservationists helped the bird by providing more habitat. They had control burning creating stands of uh, young jack pines needed by the warbler. And they controlled a number of parasitic cowbirds in the nesting area. I have uh, worked out in that area, and I've seen these huge traps that they have that they catch cowbirds in. 
And it's worked well enough, Dean, that last year the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service officially delisted the Kirtland's warbler from the endangered species list. And the bird, it only nests in uh, central Michigan, uh, small populations in Wisconsin and Ontario. And it was one of the first species added to the endangered species list in the uh, early 70s. And Kirtland's warbler is named for Dr. Jared Kirtland, whose Ohio farm provided the first specimen in 1851. And there's a Kirtland College uh, that I've, it's been my pleasure to speak at a couple of times, and Grayling was named for this warbler. So a school named after a bird. How cool is that? That is cool. And he- I heard from you that Barb Lamson said something. Yeah. And uh, she said, as she said she'd heard that a robin can eat 14 feet of worms per day and was wondering if it's true. <coughs> Everybody just pause and imagine eating 14 feet <laughs> of earthworm. And yeah. say, boy, that would fill the day. Uh, you know, baby robins that we're all seeing now, for the first four days of a nestling's life, the parent birds regurgitate partly digested food (laughs) into the baby's mouth, which is worse, eating a whole uh, earthworm or regurgitated partly (laughs) digested. Yeah, but five days of age, the nestlings get earthworms and the parents break it into small mouthfuls, just like our our moms used to do, cut up our food and say, there you go, just eat them in small bites. You like it better that way, I guess. They were dreadful in uh, smaller amounts if it was food you didn't like. <laughs> the babies eat more each day. And soon the parents give them whole worms and large insects. And each each robin, each baby robin may eat 14 feet of earthworms in a two-week nest life. And worms, are that's a lot over two weeks for a tiny little guy. And that's not even their main food. There's a book called The American Robin, and a guy named Roland Wauer wrote it. And he said that the food for baby robins is 50% caterpillars, which is a pretty good thing for all gardeners and everybody mm-hmm. um, that are planting small trees and everything, you kind of want the caterpillar numbers to be knocked down a bit. 29% is uh, earthworms, our earthworms, 7% ants, 5% flies, 9% beetles, centipedes, millipedes, uh, butterflies, moths. Do they do They're slugs? Ero- because I wish I had. I wish they would come and take all the slugs out of my hosta gardens. Do they do those? Yeah, uh, toads. Toads are really toads. good. Okay, I'm gonna bring toads. Yeah, there. yeah. I love having toads. We got Gail's put out all those little toad houses. You know that they have a swimming pool and a garage. It's like a three car garage and everything for each toad. Just trying to get most of more of them come here. I, I love toads. There was a. Uh, to Barb's question, a robin that was supposed to leave the nest that day was experimentally fed all the earthworms it would eat. Each worm was measured, and the robin ate 14 feet of worms. In a day? Yeah. Oh, my word. Well, but now, is this one, okay, is, Al, is this when the worm is protracted or when it's like, you know, the, when it's all stretched out? Because, you know, worms can... can 
get fat and then they kind of go together and then when they stretch out they get really long so which which was it was it they when they were like stretching I, I bet they were i bet they were stretching them out to try to make the numbers <laughs> okay. as big as possible and when we say a robin eats 14 feet of worms that might be the equivalent i'm thinking that might include uh, caterpillars and everything in that because okay. i could not you know i have read that so many places that they eat 14 feet of worms a day i have said it i know i looked through i don't know how many books trying to find where that study came from and barb i can't find it so i always hate saying something that doesn't have a little bit of scientific backup but i know i read it somewhere and apparently a lot of other people have read it somewhere because uh, i hear it all the time well is that how I urban get... legends get started though maybe it's an urban legend i think that's what she was kind of wondering if it's true or not so we were turning to you for the scientific proof al yeah and <laughs> i the part where they'll eat 14 feet of earthworms in a two-week nest life that's, that's true that's been seen by a lot of people or you know around that area so but you know eating 14 feet in two weeks and eating 14 feet in one day it's quite a difference well yeah i mean it's, unless you're a you know a, a whore where you're just a glutton i guess <laughs> sounds like yeah it it would not surprise me that it's true wow I will, I'll, I'll go out that far because but you know typically i bet they don't because they're eating other things right so uh, it's not just worms but they could maybe and like you said it could be are they this the ones that are all drawn out like as long as they can versus oh, i'm sure they are yeah. oh yeah okay hey i yeah. i have a question about geese uh you know we have the the lake the lake house and the geese like to come on the shore and i don't like them because you know they poop a lot so i've been putting in some pollinator gardens because they don't like to cross apparently barriers of uh, plants and things but the neighbors have like just a clear nothing well one put up a little fence one put up wires I don't know if it's electric or not but the other ones they come up and the other night I was planting on the shoreline my uh, special shoreline gardens and I was turned around I thought oh I I had my camera I was going to take a picture showing the work I had done and all of a sudden there were probably about 75 to 100 geese on the the neighbor's shoreline next to me i have no idea how they snuck up on me but they were wildly pecking in the grass and eating i don't know what they were eating but man they just like i said all of a sudden there they were and and they were within 20 feet of me and i thought what in the world is so delicious in that that shoreline it's it's primarily well there was some sand they've got sand on theirs and then they've got turf grass so what is it that they are gobbling up and just like crazy and how do they sneak up on me like that <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's uh, funny geese can be that quiet yeah they, this time of year they typically feed on uh, grasses and sedges oh. so that's the thing they really like and um, boy in the spring i watched them eat skunk cabbage leaves which i cannot imagine are good but they like them and during fall and winter, then they eat berries and seeds and corn out in the fields, and they they really like blueberries. So they're eating and the they grass can, and not bugs. I was hoping they were eating grubs or bugs or something, and I was concerned about will they eat my all these these plants that I bought and put in? Do I need to try and do something special to protect them? Yeah, I used to put a big fence up. We raised geese, and oh. I had to put a big fence up around to keep them out of there because they would come in and sample things. Oh, they would just kind of nibble on it and say, "Oh, I don't like that," and then the plant would fall over. Oh, they yeah. just kind of chewed it up. Uh, but they, uh, 
I would throw them grass. There was always quack grass was the biggest problem I had in my garden. So I was always throwing quack grass out to them. And, oh, they would come down there and they would say nice things about me. You know, you can tell when geese say those low murmuring. They're just so happy that you're their friend. And they would eat that quack grass. I guess just happy that somebody pulled it for them and threw it (laughs) over the fence to them. And they would follow me around the garden and sit down and wait for me to throw them something. It was a permanent mulch garden. And the only thing that seemed to get through the mulch was the quack grass on occasion so they like that but i i didn't i've never had them much of a problem eating i know they will go out and probably eat corn and grass because uh, that's a grass they like grass but i never had much problem with them in the garden eating anything it's just that they would chew on stuff sometimes just oh. kind of see if it was worth eating and they go ew that's that's not good and the poor old plant never recovered from that well, battle so I have seen in farmers fields near where the water pools uh, because geese go there I have seen them put out those I think they're plastic or metal or something uh, silhouettes of, of they look like coyotes I think or dogs or something and then they are on a pole that so they wiggle in the wind you know like a spring or something do those work to deter geese from coming and landing in certain areas i was wondering if i put out some of those cutouts because i see they're on sale they sell them or is it the kind of thing like with deer once they get used to them they don't work anymore yeah there's a uh, i've i've worked a lot over at southwest minnesota state in marshall and there are those statues all over the area there and i've had uh, I bet I've had a dozen people show me photos on their phone <laughs> of those statues completely surrounded by Canada geese. Oh. So, uh, yeah, they're pretty pretty smart. The statues are really cool. They just look odd out there, you know. I don't know if they're coyotes or wolves or what they're supposed to be, but out there in the middle of nowhere, here's this statue. And uh, I'm sure a lot of people have asked uh, the residents over there, well, what's up with those things? What is, is the name of the the local, uh, are they the Marshall Fighting Coyotes or something? I, they're the Marshall Tigers. So maybe they could try a tiger out there. Maybe that would work. Well, you know, the neighbor put up this little wire, and I don't know if it's electrified because I don't want to touch it, but d- d- will just a wire um, de deter them like it's it's probably about a foot off the ground they have it you know all around the the perimeter because they've got this pristine grass that you know it's perfect and i've got the you know more of this the salad looking grass so it's like whatever but will that help is just just a plain wire or should it be electrified um the uh, wires will help a lot of people hang flags on them that whip around in the wind a little bit so they uh i've had a lot of people tell me that they those things certainly do help Okay. And uh, if you can just uh, you know, chase them away for a little while, then they kind of move on to other things. Well, you know, it was so funny. It, I was on the shore working, and, and like I said, they were in the neighbor, ne- just right next door. But then I could hear a guy probably a few houses down going, ah! Every so often you'd hear this big <laughs> roar, and I, I was laughing because I knew he was probably on his property trying to yell at them to get away. So it was just kind of funny. Yeah, they probably... Um, they're like me, yelling at the neighbor's cat oh. that's over here. And I'm forever 
yelling, get out of here, and of course it, it just goes far enough away from me that it can't, I can't see it anymore and then comes right back. But I have. I'd love to hear from folks if they uh, have had good luck. I know people use radio-controlled boats to harass them in the water and recordings of uh, goose distress calls. Uh, what are they? Oh, lasers. They have these... Uh, all things that uh, flash strobe lights and lasers, if something walks in between that beam and that's supposed to scare them away, I don't know. You know, balloons, I don't think they would work. Uh, floating alligator heads, I don't think that would work on our Canada geese. So I'd love to hear if some of you put up fence. I would think electric fence would certainly work because that would zap them. Geese are really smart, and I'm sure they would remember that. I uh, thank you all for listening. Boy, you know, uh, sometimes I wonder whose side my GPS is on. And you get that feeling? Make a U-turn, the female voice said sternly. I was in my garage. <laughs> I grumbled, but I didn't lash out because she knows where I live. Thanks, everybody, for listening. Thank you, Karen, for your wonderful company. I hope you all have just the best day ever today it's uh, step outside for a while it, it's a, a lovely day don't you know take your umbrella and you'll be okay um, do something wild today get out there and look at a bird thanks karen thanks hey, everyone thank you we'll chat with you again soon have a great week bye-bye bye-bye